And and then on the flip side of that, some of these movies are made by t- totally delusional perverts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they deserve, <laughs> like, honestly, they yeah. deserve to be laughed at. And and I think I think in some cases, in most cases, uh, well, in some cases, they're making money. Like, I think Neil Breen is one of those ultimate examples because we're talking about, we we talked earlier about, quote unquote, these sort of like vanity ego driven projects. Yes. And they mostly boil down to a middle-aged male filmmaker with way too much money and way too much time on their hands who goes, I want to feel like James Bond. I want to be an action star and I want to grope naked women. Yeah. Right. And those are usually the most uncomfortable parts of these movies that you'll want to fast forward through because it's just so gross. Yeah. Uh, and then that kind of gives you carte blanche to ridicule this person because you're going, hey, if you went to the trouble of spending money and putting it out there and doing all this stuff, then that's 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 what happens. Right. Yeah. Um, you leave yourself open to people, you know, enjoying and interpreting your work any way they see fit. Uh, but in the case of Neil Breen, Neil Breen, I think, transcends the traditional delusion yes. that you see in these ego-driven projects because Neil Breen is an architect living in um, Nevada, mm-hmm. not too far from Las Vegas. Yep, and he made enough money to make these sort of micro-budget movies, and he's made, I think, now six yeah, feature films. Like yeah, between four he's to made, six. Yeah, uh, feature films. And he's, he says, and I think he's honest, they've all been commercial successes, uh, and probably. I believe him, yeah. um, because he's making them dirt cheap, and because most of the time it's only him on screen, and it's only one location out in the middle of the desert. or, like or a lot uh, of uh, stock, stock yeah, footage. And, uh, yeah, well, screen. he starts, his, his movies, his movies, like you kind of, if you see the first one and then you progress to the last one, you really do see an evolution yeah. in his filmmaking and in the technologies that he's using. Uh, but all the, it's basically he's making the same movie over and over again. And the movie, the movies that Neil Breen makes are Neil Breen is the best at everything. He's the smartest man. He's the most dangerous man. He's <laughs> yeah. he's pretty much a god on earth. Yes. Um, everyone loves him. Everyone fears him. And he knows everything. And he's either going to change the world for good or for bad. Uh, but it's Neil Breen. And he's the writer, director, producer, editor. Like he does everything on his movies. And I've also seen some of his movies in theaters. And it's a wonderful experience. But he's also made... A, and, and again, this is recent. Like I think his most recent film came out in 2017, 2018. Yes. And so uh, in the world of the internet, you can't hide from the conversation that's going on around your films. And so you go, how is this man not aware that across the world where his movies are enjoyed, he's a joke, right? And he is an object of ridicule because he's kind of gross and he's kind of delusional. And he has these, in this case, delusions of grandeur and these sort of power fantasies because there's a lot of sex scenes in in, in his movies as well that are being, uh, you know, that are sort of, being represented on screen and that he's getting to live through, you know, these, these movies. Yeah. And horribly awkward. Yeah. It's horribly awkward. Like to the point where, you know, you, you, your, your, your brain hurts. Like you have, you're physiologically affected by his movies. Um, and he released recently like a six or eight hour documentary 
on how he makes his movies. I think and it's supposed I to be like a film, a film course. It, like a it, it is. Class. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what it is. He he's he uses the term documentary, I think, at some point in his sales pitch. Basically. Did you watch it? I only watched snippets of it. That's and the reason why is because it's expensive. Like he I think he's charging like 80 bucks for it or Ooh. something along those lines. Okay. And he he charges at least 20 to 25 bucks American for his movies. Yeah. And when you get them, they are a burnt CDR. <laughs> In a regular CD case, not a DVD yeah. case, yeah, a I've CD that, case yeah. with a, um, a sticker with the title like written on it. Like yeah. I, it might be printed, but it's the cheapest. Like basically the production is a dollar or it's like so. nothing. You buy like a stack of CDs or DVDs, whatever it, it is. Like, that's right. You know. And uh, that's right. I said CDR, but they're DVDRs. So they're so he's burning them on his home computer and then selling them for twenty to twenty five bucks a pop. Yeah. And you know he makes he makes cash on the licensing is you know licensing the movie to be screened yeah. in theaters all over the world. Um, and he's making a healthy profit to the point where he's allowed it. He's been allowed to make more than one movie, and. He has very strict stipulations on how and when his movies are to be aired. Yeah. For example, yep. his movies are only to be aired at 7 p.m. Yep. He does not want them to be quote unquote midnight movies. Yep. Right. So they'll kind of like B movie features that movie houses in the day would 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 put up uh, in order to get you know people into the the theater during the day or to have something to screen at, at those, at those times or, you know, that cable, um, uh, 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 cable channels used to throw up on there. Like these really yeah. cheap B movies where the rights to them were dirt cheap and they could just throw on, throw on a bunch of them at, you know, 12 o'clock when no one was watching. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want his films to be associated with that culture yeah. and demands that they be screened at the same time as you would screen a Star Wars movie or a Martin Scorsese movie. And those are his peers. And he, um, the, like he doesn't want a discussion period after like none of the things that, you know, uh, like the Rocky horror picture show, for example, enjoys like none of those kinds of really cult following kind of things. And he's very strict on those things. And so this is a man who, despite living in the 21st century in the age of the internet, um, still maintains his um, uh, his his authorship, his auteurness yes. with his movies, and then some people, you know, I think people would argue like, well, obviously this is fake, and he's pretending, and he's has this formula, and he's found a way to you know exploit money from people, and to those people, I challenge you to watch his movies, watch his interviews because he he interviews himself. So you can go ahead and you can watch it. And uh, and you tell me if this person is being sincere. Try to decode Neil Breen for me yeah. and with any kind of authority. And I think that's for that reason alone, I would I would, you know, lean towards just saying, no, this guy has found a way to isolate himself from the negative criticism either by being such a narcissist or by being so delusional mm. um, that he refuses the reality that he actually lives in and only keeps the 
the the good stuff, which is no, I'm a successful filmmaker. My movies make money. I've made six independent movies all on my own, and no one has helped me. And that is a hundred percent true. Um, and so he takes the good and leaves all the bad at the door. Yeah. No, someone like Neil Breen, I I can't tell. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I feel like he has some inkling that like he knows on some level that that they're bad and like that's why people like them because they're just like so outrageous but i feel like for him like he takes that and sees that as like a good Mm. so like his um because if you've never watched it like you can't describe the film like we would have to take like another hour to like just describe one of his films because like you can't sum it it's a type of film you can't sum it up in like five minutes like it's just all over the place it's like convoluted it just doesn't make sense you have to explain give so much background but how he does because you you know he's done several successive films or successful films he has to have some idea but i'm just like i'm pretty sure he just thinks like oh people like this so i will keep doing it but i mm-hmm. think it's good like it, yeah, like I see it like as though it validates what he does, kind of thing, because yeah. people are reacting to. It. He doesn't see it as, as far as I can tell. I saw like one clip of him. It was like some kind of I don't know if it was a Q and A necessarily, but he was at some event. I don't know if it was like a film festival event. I don't, I don't know what it was. It was I saw this like a while ago. Uh, I, and I forget which film it was. It was the one that has like the desert and there's a bunch of like baby heads. Okay. I don't yeah. think you know that yeah. one. I yeah. forget. That's yeah. That sounds like um, not double down, but um, I do continue. Face. Sorry, I, I don't, don't know. know. It's one of those films. If you if you know his films, you've probably seen a clip of it. But anyways, uh, there's this, there's imagery because he always has weird imagery in his films. Like in uh, I don't know one of them, they had that like garbage room where like everything was like black. Yeah, kind of thing. Anyway. Yeah, that was that was a twisted pair. Twisted pair, yeah. So he, in a lot of his films, he has like this weird imagery that like doesn't really bear any relevance to the plot, but we cut to it every now and then. So in this one, it's like in the middle of the desert, and there's like these heads like from dolls, like uh, little baby dolls kind of thing, and the heads are just like in the sand, like sitting on on the sand in the desert. And, like, again, someone we cut back to. And then so someone asked him, like, what was the significance? What was the meaning of that? Like, what was your intention with that? And then he kind of, like, gives a, like, non-answer, like a bullshit, I'm not going to answer that question kind of thing. He just kind of says, like, it's like, I'll I'll let you figure that one out kind of thing. That was his answer to it. And then people started booing, right? Because it was, like, that was, like, such, like, a non-answer. Like, I'm not going to answer it. Because, like... I, I did like a few like film courses like in in uh, in uh, a university in uh, Dawson, and uh, if you've never taken like an arts type class where you, whether you paint, act, do film or whatever, they usually have critiques. So you screen your film or what your work, whatever it is, and then people ask you questions after it, and you kind of have to like justify why you made certain choices, right? So that kind of thing, you could not get away with by saying, well, what did you think of it? You couldn't answer a question like that. And even in this case, even though this was not like an academic setting or anything, the people there didn't accept it because they started like booing. And I was like, that. so that made me think. I'm like, so he he must know that like people go crazy for this shit. They like, 
seeing yeah. like this non-sequitur has no bearing on plot imagery i'm just going to cut to but at the same time like th- like to me it just says like i'm not going to justify it but like i know people oh, like it see, to me it says to me it speaks to his ineptitude yeah, where he's seen he's seen something similar in other movies mm-hmm. that were successful mm-hmm. and other filmmakers who had a vision yes for these projects and like any every frame that's in a movie was designed and accounted for yes and that the that there's this overarching visual language and this either a visual metaphor that they're trying to convey and so when they're asked these questions and then they get to you know exposit on their their intention and i think that a lot of what neil breen does is he'll and which is a lot of what other uh, other of these filmmakers do is this kind of um imitation Mm-hmm. where they're looking at a movie that they really like and they go, oh, I like this. I'm going to do that in my movie, but they have no idea of the significance of it. Yes. So it's like you'll see a lot of bad movies use film techniques, um, for example, like a Dutch angle. Yeah. And, you know, they saw this movie where a filmmaker used a Dutch angle and they'll be like, oh, that looks cool. I'm going to use it in my movie. And every single shot in their movie is a Dutch angle, which yeah. basically means that the whole movie's off kilter by a couple degrees to the right or the left. Yeah. And they don't understand that you use a Dutch angle to convey something very specific, right? Yeah. So a filmmaker will be like, no, well, this character is literally is unhinged mentally. And so the frame is unhinged in the scene where we're seeing through his point of view. And that's yeah. why I'm using the Dutch angle. Yeah. But they don't, they're not aware of this because they're, you know, they're they're just doing it because they think that they're brilliant or they're just doing it because they want to make a movie and they saw it and they thought this was cool and they're just going to use it without any knowledge of what uh you know of the do's and don'ts and that the the sort of the knowledge of film language yeah uh so i think you see that a lot in movies that are so bad they're good oh and and i think that's part of their charm i think that's i think that's something that 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 notion of charm i i think is a is is a is an important part to 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 discuss or to to at least like acknowledge yes with best of the worst movies which is it's char- it's like you know if you've ever seen the film a wonderful film um called waiting for guffman um which was not. directed okay so waiting for guff waiting for guffman was written by christopher guest um who um is probably best known for his role in spinal tap um, who is also a director of other movies uh, that are kind of mockumentaries um, and uh, that usually have the same cast of characters. Like he'll usually cast Harry Shearer and Michael McKean and Parker Posey and Jennifer uh, Coolidge and Eugene Levy. Like those are the people that, and Bob Balaban and all yeah. these actors. Um, and so he's done movies like Best in Show and A Mighty Win, which was nominated for an Oscar. I'm not sure if it won, but it was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Song, I believe. Anywho, Waiting for Guffman is a story about a small-town amateur theater company that's putting on a show. And the show's outrageous, and the show's ridiculous, and they keep thinking, no, we're going to get this... Guffman is this big-time theater reviewer that they invited to come and see their play, and hopefully you know, they have dreams of going to Broadway, right? Yeah. But it's it's not going to happen, and you you know it from the get go that these are sweet people that 
are, are not actors and they're putting on a show that's that's terrible and people love the show this the people that love the show love it because they love them and they love the heart that they're putting into it and it's charming and waiting for guffman conveys and perfectly encapsulates the charm of missing the mark of when movie when people come in and they have the intention of doing something good that is actually terrible um it is charming because that good intention somehow translates into the movie the fact that it doesn't feel cynical that's the thing is that a lot of movies feel cynical and the people who really like bad movies i think are attracted or respond to that uh optimism that everything is possible that dreams can come true and anyone can make a movie uh and then you realize watching those movies that maybe can everybody can make a movie sure but and release a movie but not everybody can make a good movie or not everybody can make a watchable movie uh, but the heart counts and that charm that comes from from that is super important i think i think so that's why it doesn't that's why i think that it's not super mean-spirited to watch these kinds of movies our last point that we will get to is not necessarily about good bad films uh, but it's related to them and it's kind of just like how how do we like find like these films it's something it's a thought that had 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 come to me when like thinking about like the subject it's kind of like you because like like yes, you watch. Or how I come across a lot of them is like watching Red Letter Media's Best or the Worst kind of thing because they talk about these films and I enjoy watching the review and, and the clips that they show and the discussion that they have about them. But in terms of like actually going out and like watching the film yourself, it's like how how does this happen? Because uh, a lot of the times now uh, people are watching things like on streaming services so like netflix amazon disney plus whatever whatever's going to come out hbo max um these type of films like aren't really going to be carried like if there's something that's like big enough mm. sure perhaps like uh you know that you may be able to find them i don't know how hard it is i haven't really looked because i don't have a bunch of streaming services but it's just a question that kind of like popped up to me because like uh Back in the day, you would have like video rental stores, right? So you would have like an interaction with someone that would recommend you a film. They would tell mm. you because, like, even now, like, let's say these films are available because I'm sure there's a bunch of shitty films on Netflix and on Amazon, all those stuff. But like, how do you how do you get to them? Because there's like an algorithm that will like recommend movies to you based on like what you watch. But it's an algorithm. It just it doesn't know doesn't have the knowledge it's just like you know there's a mathematical formula that says oh perhaps you'll like this so how how do you get to that one of them is like watching youtube channels like red letter media and other ones that they have a huge collection of films that they come across uh, and they tell you okay this is what we watched but like i don't know like so where where do you like yeah. how do you find how do you come across most of the the films that that you watch or that we watch when, when we do like a little viewing party. That's a super, I love that question, Pablo. That's a great question. I think, so here's, here's a, a, something that I do want to say is uh, my love for these kinds of movies actually came well before I, I ever was aware of red letter media. Um, 
I was I was watching the basically the Canadian equivalent to the Sci-Fi Channel, which is called Space. Yes. Um, I was watching Space one Saturday evening in the summer. Um, it was Saturday or some Sunday. Anyway, it was the weekend, and it was it was the summer, and it was super hot, and it was hard to you know sleep because we didn't have air conditioning in 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 the house where I grew up, and my mom and I were just sitting on the couch watching space and i think it like you know we tuned in at 10 30 or 11 because you know there's no way we we're going to be able to go to sleep and we caught the end of this terrible movie called webs which i think starred um uh, uh, uh greco richard greco and it, it had a kind of um early late 90s early 2000s softcore porn feel to it and <laughs> it, it was it was science fiction horror and everything was bad yeah. and we were going like oh man this sucks but it was entertaining and we watched the last 20 minutes of it and we were just like okay well what's gonna come next and the movie that came next i would say changed my life forever and it was an old movie from, I think it was shot in either the late 60s or the early 70s. And the movie was called, yes, you heard right. <laughs> the literal movie title was S-S-S-S-S-S-S. Okay. That's the, and so I'll give you three guesses as to what it was about. Um, it was about snakes, yeah. of course. <laughs> and it starred Dirk Benedict. Uh, which is not a made-up name, and it's not a porn name either. It was the name of an actor who worked a lot during the 70s and 80s. He was on Battlestar Galactica. He played the original Starbuck, and he also played uh, in the A-Team. Um, he played Faceman, and uh, and he was also in this B-movie, uh, which which had some really good actors in it. Actually, it had Red Brown. Oh, in yeah. It. Red, Red Brown went on to become a sort of B-movie king yeah. uh, in the 80s in italy working predominantly in italy and doing all these bad italian knockoffs of action and science fiction and fantasy movies like the your hunter from the future and space mutiny and all these uh all these movies um so i watched this movie which is all about this mad doctor that has this he thinks king cobras are the dominant species on the planet and, you know, after a nuclear war, the only living creatures will be king cobras and that they're <laughs> superior to human beings and that um, human beings, you know, there should at first I'm thinking like, oh, he's trying to make some kind of human cobra hybrid. Yeah. You know, we're using the intelligence and the resourcefulness of humans and the physiological superiority of king cobras or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um but no, like by the end of the movie, his whole thing is just turning a college student into a King Cobra. Like that's oh, it. That's okay. all he does. Is he literally just turns him into a King Cobra. And there are all sorts of these weird scenes that happen in the in the you know in the course of this movie. And this dumbass college student played by Dirk Benedict keeps getting shots. Like uh like you know, like he, injections. You know, boost, yeah, injections, yeah. like booster shots or vaccinations are like, oh no, you need to be inoculated for this venom if you're going to be working with snakes and oh this venom inoculation antidote whatever serum has this effect and i'll have to give you this to handle this side effect and he's like oh i'm becoming really cold like i'm cold-blooded and i'm my skin is becoming scaly and i'm shedding and i'm 
my and you're just going like you fucking idiot like stop getting the shots like what's wrong with you yeah. and uh, anyway my mom and i were watching this movie completely enthralled by what was going on and finding it completely ridiculous the premise and and the way that it was shot but somehow something was working yeah the the, the movie worked and we were going why is this working why is this entertaining this is bad in almost every conceivable way and we got to the end and i immediately went on imdb and i'm like i have to find this movie and i have to know more about it and i have to figure it out and one of the first reviews that i saw of it on imdb was just one word and it was sucked <laughs> period and i thought that was i thought that was funny but at the same time i thought no it didn't suck it was oddly good and then i tried to find it on dvd and then finally got a dvd copy of it yeah and that that started me onto it because, of course, if you go on IMDb, you'll find a lot of user-generated lists. Yeah. So you're like, either it'll be people who looked up this movie also looked up this movie, or you'll get, oh, this movie popped up in these lists. And so you'll have to find users on the IMDb who will be like, the best movies that are awful that I like to laugh at by user, you know, Marx Sr. the third. And then you go through it and he's got in there, but then you'll find a whole slew of other movies that he put in there. And so that got me going on my quest to find these other movies. Cause yeah. then I'll be like, Oh, he, th and then I'd look at the description and I'd be like, this sounds hilarious. Or I'd look at the stars because you'll see in a lot of these bad movies, the same actors coming back. Right. And one of the, one of the, one of the most famous of these actors is an actor by the name of Cameron Mitchell. Oh, now, Cameron, oh my God. Legend. Yeah, Cameron Mitchell is the <laughs> legend. He's a patron saint of bad movies. And he's someone who had a legit film career at one point and was in mainstream movies and TV shows. Uh, but then somewhere along the lines, in this Cameron Mitchell's case, I think his substance abuse and alcoholism kind of got in the way of his career. Yeah. And so to make money, he would basically sell himself to these B-movies so that they could say that they had Cameron Mitchell in it because... Even a sort of B tier star or has some kind of star yeah. power to it, and his name had, was recognizable for a time. And you know, his at this point, he had just stopped trying and he wasn't learning his lines, and so his script was usually on a desk. Or he, yeah, uh, he'd always be like sitting and stuff. Yeah, yeah, he'd usually be sitting, and you, you you see his eyes go down to look at his script or whatever, and he'd make these big unmotivated choices because he hadn't read the full script, so it's like he didn't know that this that this, you know, character that he was being referred to in scene six is actually supposed to be really cool and collected. And instead he's playing him like a rageaholic. Yeah. Um, so you have all these interesting things. Um, but then, so like you go, Cameron Mitchell, what else has he been in? And then you look that up and then you try to find those movies. Um, or um, uh, so I think IMDb is a good resource or sometimes you'll find really great things when you go on Amazon and you go, what are the movies that are, have the lowest ratings what is the lowest rated movie on amazon.com or amazon.ca and you'll find a whole bunch of one you'll find ones that are just genuinely bad like movies that people hate and they hate for a good reason but then you'll find the gems um so sometimes you really have to dig to find these gems and then the other thing is sometimes these movies unfortunately are only available on vhs yeah right and, you know, not a lot of people have a VHS player. Not a, like, where do you find VHSs? I mean, they're in garbage bins and pawn shops yeah. and, you know, discount stores all over the place, you know. Um, but the thing about the thing that's great about VHS tapes and even DVD releases. So when you have a physical copy of the movie, not a bootleg copy, 
is you'll put it in and sometimes you'll be lucky enough to have trailers for other movies, right? Because for this movie to be on DVD or VHS, it means at some point it found a distributor. Yes. Some at some point it found you know like vinegar syndrome or you know, like these small time uh, distributor distributors who are going like, hey, if I pay, you know, if I pay this guy ten thousand bucks for this movie, uh, and I sell them, you know, for ten dollars a pop, I only have to sell, you know, like. I only have to sell a thousand of these to make a profit, right? So, you know, in the United States is a big place and it's possible to sell a thousand cop or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, and so you'll start to see trailers for other movies and then you start to go, oh man, like that are being released by the same distributor. And you go, I want to see that. Where can I get that? Um, and then, um, and then again, some, some bad movies will accumulate a following and then you'll see them pop up online or you'll go on YouTube and you'll find these scenes that went viral. And then you have to just do a little bit of digging to find, you know, um, uh, to find, you know, to sort of to go down that rabbit hole and, yeah. and, and find, find the, the sort of the, the pot of gold at the end of that rainbow uh, to mix metaphors. Um <laughs> But uh, but I think another another thing that we're seeing a lot, not so much on Netflix anymore. Netflix just basically the bad movies on there are just garbage. Yeah, like it's just garbage shit, so that they can say that they have these this many movies. Um, but really, Netflix is putting all of their time and attention into developing their original content with yeah. good reason. Yeah. What you will find uh, is on some of the more specialty ones like Shutter or Voodoo. Like the, on those ones, you'll find the B movies that are just really entertaining and really great to watch uh, B movies that, you know, under with that you can see that had they had a greater budget that they would have been huge hits uh, or even just like Canon movies. Like if you look Canon, if you look up Canon pictures, like Canon pictures, for example, they're the ones that made um, um, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and um, um, Chuck Norris famous. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if you go through their like uh, if you go through their you know if you go through the Canon Pictures filmography you're gonna find gold. If you go through like Vestron Video uh, filmography you're gonna find gold. If you find you know like and you'll find producers like you'll find Charles Band um, and all the all the all the the movies that he um, uh, uh, directed or produced are incredible and worth watching or Andy Sedaris. Um, who is a producer who did a whole bunch of like, you know, he did a hard ticket to Hawaii, for example, like a bunch, a whole bunch of, you know, big blonde, like big boobed blonde action movies set in tropical places like Hawaii or yeah. whatever. Um, but then the, I, I, I usually f- am pretty successful at finding some of those movies on Amazon prime. Okay. Uh, Amazon, someone at Amazon is looking for B movies, uh, and is resurrecting them, you know, it's giving them a home. Yeah. Uh, and you'll find, you'll find a lot. And, and also I think the, the algorithm on Amazon isn't as aggressive or as fine tuned yeah. as, um, Netflix. So you don't have to go searching for very long, you know, before you find something that goes like, what's this? I've never heard of this. Um, like, Oh, it, it says it has, like sometimes we'll be like oh it says it has vigo mortensen in it i'll check that out and then you're like yeah vigo mortensen was like 18 and yeah. you know is in this movie for five minutes yeah uh 
So sometimes you'll find gold that way. But I, I think it's a, I think it's a good point because some of the some of those movies found audiences because there were either you know in, in the old days it was movie theaters needed movies yeah um you know on their screens and hollywood was only making a handful of pictures a year and you're like well what about all the other movies and then industrious people like roger corman yeah. were like i'll make i'll make bad movies for you guys like i'll make b movies for you guys like a b movie is basically you have your a movie so those are the movies that are made by main hollywood attraction. that are that's right they're your main attraction and then you're like people you know want to see you know if there's only one movie on on the screen for two months like you're not going to make money but if you can find some other shit that you can either put as a double feature to try to attract other people and then other b movies like straight to video movies um you'll find you know in video rental stores uh just to try to you know fill the home video market um and that would usually wind up on cable um, you know, after hours or sometimes on broadcast television after hours, and you'd be able to watch those there, um, you know, when you're up at midnight or when you're up at one o'clock. Uh, but now you're definitely, I think nowadays we're seeing a trend for, for the new movies that are so bad they're good is unlike the Neil Breen's that sort of make it work all on the, all on their own or Tommy Wiseau that make it work all on their own is you'll see these straight to streaming yeah. movies. Yeah. Um, and sometimes movies are dumped on streaming services that are really bad. You know, I think a good example of that recently was the Cloverfield paradox, which had like an A-list cast and was produced by JJ Abrams's bad robot, I think. And, um, and it was a bad movie that they realized they couldn't, it would be a bomb in theaters and they wouldn't make money. And so they sold it to Netflix for a couple million dollars. And and ju- just enough to recoup their cash, basically. Um, and so, yeah, you'll find that Netflix and Amazon and these places and Shutter, because Shutter is great for B movie, B horror movies, which are always entertaining. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes some of those straight to streaming movies, where you're like, this wasn't, this wasn't ever released on any format. <laughs> um, those you'll find some. Those you'll find some gold. Those you'll you'll find some good some good movies. All right, 